Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 184, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak. Without a bad day, he is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, I had the listeners gang up and remind you to be on time for the recording today. Yeah, you're a you're a prescient son of a gun, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, they they entered your DMs en masse. And, and despite all that, after you told me this morning to be ready, uh, you would be ready in 10 to 15 minutes. It still took you 45 minutes to get on the call. What the hell happened? happened and how you doing brother not this is extremely unfortunate all right i mean everything is delicious i was about to say every day is delicious which is not how that goes <laughs> no i took the dog out to pee before we recorded the dog saw a squirrel when i was not paying attention <laughs> and subsequently the dog had herself a tremendous morning full of fun exciting games and consumed dirt clods and is now in her crate panting to death covered in dirt because she ran around for like 35 minutes while I chased her in Birkenstocks and just generally did not enjoy my uh, opening exercise that I did not ask for, knowing that I was going to receive unbelievable amounts of flack for it when I finally got her. I'm just imagining you running around like an absolute moron after this dog. I, I like I'm wearing like a bump. Like I'm wearing totally bummy clothes. I've got my burks on. My hair is terrible. I haven't shaved. And I'm just standing in the middle of my apartment complex watching my dog run circles around me. Just <laughs> being like I keep every time she comes by. I'm like, I'm just going to leave you. I have to go record. So bye. You can just do whatever you want now. But she doesn't speak English. So she doesn't believe me. It's unfortunate. I'm I'm gonna forgive you this time because you you redeemed yourself preemptively. Yeah, you preemptively redeemed yourself uh, with your performance in Warzone last night. Which I, I gotta say, I feel like you were a bit of a shark and you misled us because you get on it's me, you, Trevor Sycamore was Bryce Rossler at first, but like his internet out there in the the boonies of Pennsylvania wasn't so great. But like it starts out pretty innocuous, and all of a sudden, like you you tell us beforehand, like. I'm no good, don't expect anything, my KD's like 0.4, so on and so forth. Me, you, and Trevor get into a rhythm, and you're pushing dudes, you're you're downing dudes all over the place. We had a dub where you had nine freaking 
kills and it was like one of the one of the better performances i've ever seen from a teammate on warzone it was incredible and i don't know if it's a one-off or or beginner's luck or whatever the case was but like props to you so i do forgive you because you got us the w last night no yeah that was that that was pretty standard performance for me just never (laughs) ask me to play with you again and it'll remain pretty standard performance i don't know like i i have never played first person shooter game ever before this month of my life which man these games are freaking fun uh missing out for sure but i like i i I played with my my buddies you know the the guys i grew up with they're all extremely good i was led to believe that i'm extremely bad subsequently (laughs) i think it's just they ask of me too many things because yeah we we uh we definitely you said it right we got into a rhythm that's not i we got to the end of that game i didn't even realize it was the end of the game yeah yeah we killed it you had one kill i had nine kill doesn't matter you know whatever it's just interesting fun factoid about me being nine times more useful than you i remember um, having the final kill when you were down right i had nine kills you had one kill it's just it's just, it's just it's the numbers i have the photo which i immediately took out of great you know pride for myself I disagree because there was a point where you and Trevor were down, and I know I had a team wipe on that. So I'm disagreeing with you. It was literally three v one. We tried as hard as we could to get out of your way. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> well, we'll get on topic here, and we're we're gonna kind of bounce around and whatnot because there's really not a whole lot going on in the league because of what we're about to talk about. But like as we slog our way through the beginning of the 2020 NFL season, from from what we know, there are no rookie mini camps, there are no OTAs, there's no other mini camps, there's no joint practices, and now the league is considering shortening, and this is what the information that we have as we record, they're considering taking the preseason down from four games to two games, which I think is, regardless of the situation, something I think all of us wanted. But combined with those other factors, it really makes it hard for rookies to get acclimated and the fringe roster guy are really getting the short end of the sticks in terms of spots where they could potentially shine and crack the final roster. And one of those places is training camp, too, where discussions, from what I understand, are ongoing in terms of how that's going to work and decisions need to be made in that regard. And previously, we had talked at length about the job ahead for Eagles wide receiver coach Aaron Moorhead. And it only becomes tougher with all of this going on as he's got three rookies, a second-year guy that needs to take a step up in J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, and a new acquisition via trade in Marquise Goodwin, all coming into the group this offseason. I, I do think it's interesting that when you look back at the 2011 season, when the offseason was wiped out due to a labor dispute, and I, I wonder if we're making too much of this year of the virtual meeting, so to speak, in terms of its impact, because when you look at the results from that rookie class, for example, I mean, it's headed up by guys like Cam Newton, A.J. Green, Vaughn Miller, J.J. Watt, and heck, even Andy Dalton had a decent rookie year and was selected to the Pro Bowl and took his team to the playoffs. So you also look at like first year head coaches, Jim Harbaugh with the 49ers, for example, going from you know, six and 10 to 13 and three as a rookie coach. Passing numbers across the league were up. Uh, one area, though, where I'm really concerned, given the recent luck of the Eagles, is injuries. Because according to Football Outsiders, adjusted games loss metric, which we've cited on here multiple times as a solid data point for injury luck, 2011 with that wiped out offseason saw an 18% increase in injuries. A lot of them were conditioning related. And the early numbers, especially in the preseason on Achilles tears, they were like up by more than double. So 
Not, it could just be a weird year that had nothing to do with the labor dispute, but it's worth tracking, especially when you've got the Eagles ranking so poorly in injury luck lately. And the Eagles, of course, are trying to change that luck with another round of medical staff changes. Ben, I'm pretty sure that you agree with things like preseason being cut down to two games. I do as well. I think everybody else does. But overall, how are you feeling about this abbreviated offseason and how it could impact the league and even the Eagles? Firstly, I think that I never do a good job remembering the offseason dates and times of things to Same. begin with. Yeah. And so this has been extremely confusing because it's like, listen, the rookie minicamp is canceled, but the mandatory minicamp is not yet canceled. So I didn't even know those were different things. Right. <laughs> Which like, I don't I don't. The example I just gave may not be true. The point is to say that like stuff keeps getting canceled and postponed. I'm like, there's so many more things in the offseason than I remember there being. Yeah. Right. With training camp, what it is that you're expecting is date getting pushed back. Teams wanting more time in training camp and are willing to sacrifice preseason games for it now what's tricky is the fact that last week i think maybe two weeks ago the league officially canceled joint practices there's no way those are happening and that's kind of a big deal because a large part of the discussion on going from four preseason games to three preseason games which is going to happen once the league goes to 17 week regular season 18 week really but like 17 regular season games is that the preseason is going to go down from four games to three games so in the new cba one of the ways that they kind of met in the middle on the added attrition of an additional regular season game was by cutting a preseason game and one of the reason coaches were okay with cutting a preseason game was because in joint practices they can have scrimmages and obviously right. those aren't televised and they're not as intense but they're certainly more intense than your average training camp you know 10 10 10 ones yeah. versus ones shells sort of a, a situation so no joint practices this year plus shortened preseason is really interesting because you're talking about two total cracks of the bat of putting your team up against guys in different jerseys before you take a snap in week one that's a really big deal i think it's going to affect younger teams more i think that the the more years of experience you have on your roster the more likely you are to be able to deal with this and still be prepared the eagles were second in snap weighted age last season uh, only behind the Patriots, I'm pretty sure, which is like pretty standard Eagles and the Patriots being the oldest teams in the uh, in the league. They're probably going to be a bit younger this year. Jason Peters is gone. Malcolm Jenkins is gone. Nigel Bradham is gone. Uh, if Alshon's gone, those are four of their oldest and oldest players who also take a lot of snaps. Obviously, uh, not a lot of snaps for, for Alshon last year, but they're going to lose all those snaps. So they might be a little bit younger, but the Eagles are generally a veteran team. The issue is the wide receivers are not right. Everybody who's going to be playing is going to be new. And even if you want to beg, well, Deshaun was here last year. Yeah. But like, you know, just opposed to like the offensive line, you look at four starters that have worked with each other for years now. That's yeah. important. Right. Yeah. So I think that what you'll expect to see, which is like, if this were a regular off season, I would say Eagles passing game probably isn't going to be that great to start the season because they're going to need to adjust to the new rhythm of multiple new players both all, all of them starting in different spots, right? The Eagles, unless Alshon stays, the Eagles don't really have a receiver who projects to playing to one spot. I think mm. we don't talk about this enough. Deshaun is a Z in a slot. Rager is in everywhere. JJ Ortega Whiteside is an X in a slot. 
like you know some people want him to be like a more permanent big slot the tight ends move around all the time so you know Zach Ertz is an isolated backside x to a flex y to an inline Dallas Goddard is an h back to a full back to a flex y to an isolated x right? right the Eagles move their guys around a ton so assuming Alshon's gone everybody will be starting at a new spot and everybody will probably be starting multiple new spots again I acknowledge that Deshaun was here last year he had like 12 targets like it's like you know I mean like it's not he's an experienced guy he's going to be okay but it's not like he's an establishment player it's not like we know exactly what we're getting from him so in that it is a even more messed up offseason in that it is the additional obstacles present the Eagles passing game is probably not going to be good early right I mean that first month of the season you shouldn't be expecting the Eagles to be ripping through and I think scoring a ton of points. It's going to have to be a lot of simple concepts, a lot of simple short game stuff, probably the stuff that made us want to put our head through the wall a little bit. All the staple concepts that everybody can grasp easily, yeah. Right, yeah. It's going to be shallow depth of target stuff. It's going to be quick game stuff. It's going to be that which is familiar as they work during the season to try to open things up with their new team. Now, the Eagles open the year with not, you know, easy games they they start at the redskins then it's home versus the rams the rams are not what they once were but they're still a good team then they're home versus the Bengals, and then at the niners which if the niners aren't the best team the eagles are playing this year they have the steelers and then they have the ravens in week six mm. so i think if you're looking at this eagles the eagles have a, a relatively tough schedule across i think ravens niners and, and and saints are your case for the three best teams they're going to play well they catch two of those teams in the first six weeks yeah and that's going to tell us how quickly they've come along for sure you got you got to get the uh wagon on the wheels there a little bit uh if you're going to have this difficulty now doug peterson has showed us that he can make chicken salad out of chicken a little bit you know <laughs> uh that nick full super bowl run was a lot of making up the offense as we go Frank Reich and John DeFilippo aren't here anymore, and we haven't seen it since then. So it's kind of, you know, that was always billed as a collaborative thing, and the Eagles have an entirely new offensive coaching staff. So the offense could look ugly to start the year. It's going to be interesting to see how everything comes together, and then the addition of, you know, Rich Gangarello and and what they're going to do with the screen game and how complicated that can be at first. And hopefully, like you said, you mentioned that schedule, like that week four game, that's going to be uh, hugely important, and hopefully they have everything figured out by then and, and start to get into a rhythm and even then even even with the basic offense I still I still think there's hope for them to dial up explosive plays you know Carson Wentz pre-snap checking into things with Deshaun Jackson unleashing him and and, and Rager deep uh, there should be still plenty of opportunities for them but I agree overall just holistically the game plan is going to be a little bit more dialed in maybe something that we saw like in the middle of the season last year before it starts to really bloom out as we move along and looking at like the offensive personnel just an update here on a guy that the Eagles have been reportedly interested interested in uh this quote was from a week or so ago but we haven't really talked about it running back Devonta Freeman is still out there on the market the former Falcons running back and Bruce Arians because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are reportedly also interesting Bruce Arians had an interesting quote about that saying that look we like Freeman he's asking for a lot of money and what that tells me is if the, the price stays the same for Freeman, that the Eagles are going to be out and the Eagles haven't signed him yet. So I'm assuming they touched base with him and his agent. They gave him a price and the Eagles said, you know what? No, thanks, which I think is the right thing. Like, I love Devonta Freeman. I love the scheme fit with the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't love paying for running backs and I don't love the recent injury history from 
Freeman. I think he feels like he might be fully recovered and, you know, in the best shape of his life and all that stuff. But for me right now, like it's a no-go. With what do Staley, who I think is one of the better positional coaches on this team when it comes to taking care of his group of players, with the production that they've gotten from other guys while spending minimal capital to do so, is extremely impressive to the point where I definitely don't want to not necessarily lose a roster spot or not be able to sign somebody else, but roll over that cap into next year where it's going to be even more important, Ben. So, yeah, I actually want to talk to you about this because the whole like, are the Eagles going to be a running back by committee with Miles Sanders or not thing is of humongous interest right now to the fantasy community, right? Yeah. So I think it's a good thing to talk about. So first, number one, Devonta Freeman is not what he was. His film watch was big sad because I like Devonta Freeman a lot as a player across the course of his career, but he is juiceless. At one point, he was like a top five running back for me. And I think I think a lot of people would at least find that, you know, arguable. That compelling, right? Is is juiceless, man. It's just not there for him. Um, I would rather have LaShawn McCoy at the same dollar figure. We're talking a smaller dollar figure. It's not even a question for me right now. The Eagles adding the veteran running back, to what degree does that affect Miles Sanders' game-to-game touches? Because the Eagles have historically never been anything less than a running back by committee. Before Sanders last year, LeGarrette Blunt was the most heavily used running back of you know the Eagles' Doug Peterson era right he had 181 total touches on offense across 16 games that's an average of just over 11 touches a game ryan matthews across 13 games in 2016 had about 13 touches per game right now sanders was at 14 and a half by the time last year closed that was the most heavily used a running back was under peterson ever Howard was right around 13 touches per game. Obviously, he had the injury, and so his his total volume is a lot lower. But when he was playing, about 13 touches per game. Yeah. 14 and a half touches per game for Sanders. Let's say they sign Freeman or McCoy. How many touches per game do we think Miles Sanders is getting? And this is this is what I wrote about at the end of last year. If you look at this split now, rushing and receiving, absolutely. In, in the last eight games of the season, he had at least 10 carries in seven of those games. With the game in which he did not have 10 being nine carries against the Giants in a game where the Eagles made sure they had a lead and then rocked their backups because they were making the playoffs, right? But it was the targets and the receptions that mattered, right? Yeah. Again, he had, you know, in, in week 12, he had five and then four and then six and then five and then three in terms of receptions. He had at least three targets in every single game after week five. Right. The Eagles running back targets in general went through the roof at the end of last season when eventually they were just like, we have no receivers at all. They just started targeting Scott and Sanders and that was where they found success. So Sanders 14 and a half touches per game is largely a result of how much passing volume he got. He was a huge passing game threat. He was their most explosive receiver at one point. Mm -hmm. He's, their third leading receiver, I think. He had more than any of their wide receivers, more receiving yards. So we, what the, the difficult question here for Sanders is to what degree does adding a running back eat into his touches, a veteran like Freeman or, or LaShawn, but also to what degree does just adding wide receivers who work eat into his 
passing volume. Right. That's true. Because the targets are going to be a big part of it, and that's an attractive part of his game. I was thinking something along the lines of it could range from anywhere from like week to week to 16 to 25 touches, and I think it lands somewhere at 20 touches, maybe a little bit north of that per game, even if they do sign a veteran, because that veteran's not going to be like an explosive guy like him, and they're going to want Sanders on the field more than him. And yeah, they've always been a committee, so I'm not expecting 25 30 touches, you know, like 20 carries with 10 targets. I'm not expecting like that type of volume from him, but I am expecting around 20 touches a game from him. Would you agree with that? 20 touches a game is a lot. It is. It is. We've never seen an Eagle, like I said, no Eagles runner under Peterson ever. And more than Sanders did last year at 14 and a half. But 15, 15 carries, five receptions on average. That's a lot, Mike. 20, the Eagles are taking 63 offensive snaps. Think a third of them are going to Miles Sanders? I mean, with the running so, game, I, I got to expect he gets about 60% of the carries. Right. So that this is, this is again, so this is largely an issue in the fantasy community, which I'm just watching and yeah. not participating in, which this happens every year in the offseason. Like, there's like a, there are big fantasy debates, and I, I'm very interested in them because I love the way fantasy people think about the game. It's totally different than the way that we, that like yeah. film guys think about the game. And that's not meant to be a slight at all. Like it's, it forces me to think about it in new ways. So like big ups, like, you know, like Grant Barfield of fantasy points, I think is his new spot. Like Scott yeah. Barrett, because like these guys are, are great fantasy followers. You should follow them. But also they've been debating this for a while. And it's just like, I, I covered the Eagles and I could not tell you if the Eagles are going to stick with running back by committee or they're going to go running back one Miles Sanders and ride him till the wheels pop off. Like, I, I, I don't know. I know they've never had a running back as talented as Sanders. No, Sanders is still n- not perfect and like has issues. And they, right. the Eagles are fully aware of those. You know what I mean? Like for, for the fantasy community, it's like he's really explosive and, and he scores and he's long speed and whatever. For the coaching staff, it's like he leaves meat on the bone. You and I have talked about this, you yeah. know, and that, that's that, that was getting better last year. It is not gone by any stretch of the imagination. So they probably still want a veteran because they want somebody who maybe is a bit more reliable and picking up three yards when they need three yards, you know, and, and they're clearly on the veteran market. So, yeah, he's not that yeah. grinded out type of guy. So that may eat into his carries later on in the games where you really start to rack right. it up when you have a lead. So that's an interesting. Aspect I don't of want. It. Right now, at this stage in his career, I don't want to give the ball to Sanders on third and two. I want right. to give the ball to Boston Scott. Because right. Scott just will find daylight burrow and go. Right, right, right. And, and, and you know, I like even better than both of them is like Carlos Hyde. But Carlos Hyde is now in Seattle. You know what I mean? So it's it, it, it's a very difficult and nuanced conversation. Don't even get me started on, you know, Boston Scott as, as a running back, too. Because we're all like, yeah, great. Right. Boston Scott had exactly three good games last right. year. Like right, right. in my in my heart, I was like Boston Scott was a great alternative to Miles Sanders last year. And then I look at his game log, and I'm like, this guy wasn't even getting snaps until week ten. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's like the was, Greg Ward thing. Like he's right. not a starting slot all of a yeah. sudden. You know, dude, he had for for weeks uh, uh, thirteen through sixteen. Right, that four game stretch, he had twenty five targets, which is huge it's over six per game 23 receptions so he caught like 90 percent of his balls he had nine yards per reception yeah again that running back target just like sanders and scott saved the eagles offense last year i like i would love for scott to do that across the course of a season but i'm not betting anything on it yeah you know what i mean like that yeah. Be there. yeah before the giants game in week 17 where he was like a hero 
he had one total touchdown. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're like, this is our running back too. And like I love Boston Scott. She's like, we all are super amped up on Boston Scott. And I'm not sold on that. It's just it's just it's it's a very very scary and weird. Not scary. It's a very confusing running back room. Don't know how it's going to go. Once again, you have talked about something for several minutes and have not given a take while I have, while I have given a take. I said about 20 touches per game. It's too many. My take is less than 20. So like 17, 18? I take is average. like I don't think he's going to get more than like 15, 16. I think he's going to be what he was last year. Do you think there are games where he gets less than 12 touches? Like, honestly? Yeah. Yeah? That's I mean, fascinating. If, okay, I just like the Eagles ran the have always ran the ball well under Peterson. They ran the ball well last year and they targeted Sanders last year. But this team does not want to run the ball and they don't want to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage to their runners. You know what I mean? Like the, the they, like all teams, want to throw the ball down the field to the mm. wide receivers. And yeah. so if this I'm just I like my strong belief is that Sanders it was a good running back. We'll continue to get touches and continue to, to create value out of them. But the Eagles don't want Sanders to be the, the primary playmaker on the offense. That's what he had to be last year. But that's a hard thing to do. It's hard to be the primary playmaker of the offense when you're five yards behind the line of scrimmage when you get the ball. They want Jalen Rager to be the primary. They want Deshaun Jackson. They want to push the ball down the field. Yeah. So, so it's the- hard to get touches for Sanders in that context. The big takeaway here is that Ben is saying sell Miles Sanders at his current ADP in fantasy. Also, uh, totally unrelated, Ben is terrible at fantasy football. So <laughs> don't take his advice too seriously. But I, I agree with the concerns that you have. So that's something that we're definitely going to be tracking. And we'll see who they bring in and kind of revisit that discussion uh, when that occurs. When we come back here on the Kist and Solak show, I'm going to take uh, umbrage with an article that Ben wrote recently for the draftnetwork.com. That's coming up next. Here on BGN. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak show, episode 184. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak, brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Ben, you recently wrote an article about uh, DJ Chark of the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's part of your breakout series where you're looking at your three guys. Uh, Mm -hmm. You also had some articles on uh, James Washington as well, which I kind of want to talk about. But just looking now at like a broad view of the NFL, I want to dial in on some other things. And I saw this and I I have to comment on it. Uh, I I thought I was going and you said I was going to be upset. I thought I was going to be upset with you about the Chark article. But what you're essentially saying is that DJ Chark, who, by the way, last year, tremendous production, especially considering his his quarterback situation, 73 receptions, 1,008 yards. Eight touchdowns. That's fantastic when you consider the situation. Uh, but essentially, he is being held hostage by the Jaguars offense when you look at his year three projection, which I don't disagree with. Mm-hmm. And you also said that he still got some development needed to become a true wide receiver one, which I also don't disagree with. But I think for me, like the most enticing part about Chark's game, I, I felt that he offered enough in the short term to become a legitimate deep threat. And then you're projecting that three-level aspect of his game into year two, into year three. And that's why he was a top 50 player for me that year when he came out because he had the tools, he had the speed, and all that to be productive. And then there's a step beyond that 
he can take that's really fascinating to me, really intriguing. So whether or not we see that next step in terms of it jumping off the film or with the numbers for us is obviously somewhat dependent on the Jaguars. But regardless of quarterback play, I'm excited for I'm excited for his future. And then when you look at James Washington with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think the question for me is there's a lot of weapons in that offense with Juju. I really like Deontay Johnson coming into his second year. I really liked his film, but James Washington obviously being slept on. When you look at some of these year three breakout guys, what are you seeing? Yeah, so Chark, 73 receptions, 1,008 yards, eight touchdowns. Sounds good. Yards per game went up, catches per game went up, yards per target went up, whatever. For also, fun fact, if you're looking for, you know, hope for Ortega Whiteside, Chark's first season, in which he played in 11 games, he had 32 targets, 14 receptions, 174 yards. Ortega Whiteside was active for 16 games, uh, 22 targets, 10 receptions, 169 yards. They were equivalently terrible. Yeah. What Chark has become has been a, a deep catch point specialist. What the Eagles are hoping J.J. Ortega-Whiteside becomes is a deep catch point specialist. The fundamental difference here on paper is DJ Chark in a 4-3-40, which <laughs> I didn't understand the whole DJ Chark ran a 4-3-40 thing off his LSU film. And again, watching now his Jacksonville film, I'm still, this guy's a 90th percentile tester in broad jump and vertical jump. And like, He's he's got leaping ability, but he's not very explosive. He's not very fast. He's got build up speed, but like this combine still makes no sense to me, right? And so he he has the athletic ability to be more than he is right now as a jump ball specialist, kind of like Mike said. Whereas Arcega Whiteside does not. You know what I mean? Like his 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 jumping and his his forty were about average for his pro day, which means he probably isn't that athletic to begin with. Right. So Chark's got a better athletic profile, but. Chark right now is a, is a deep ball contested catch specialist. DJ Chark will draw even to a corner and man coverage, and he'll be available for a backside shoulder or just a deep ball to, to elevate, to, to climb the ladder, make the catch over the corner. He's got humongous wingspan, uh, tremendous leaping ability, like I said, good concentration, good physicality. Beyond that, Chark's not a wide receiver one. And that's important to note because he's the wide receiver one de facto right now in Jacksonville. Against press, he's actually pretty solid. So it's like okay to have him at the X. And whenever we talk about like wide receiver one and X receiver, like these are different concepts that people understand in different ways. But for me, wide receiver one means I can trust you at all three levels of the field against all coverages, right? You are a primary target getter for me because I anticipate you being open regardless of situation. DJ Chark is not that. So against press coverage, you can throw him open. You can give him a shot, which is why he's good for a rookie quarterback like Gardner Minshew, especially because Minshew doesn't have great arm strength. He doesn't have tremendous like downfield accuracy. So he just throws Chark a lot of early jump balls, three-step drop out of shotgun, hitch and chuck it. If it's one-on-one, I've I've covered, I'm open, right? So Chark's really good for a rookie quarterback in that way. So you can throw him open on on deep stuff there. He doesn't run good underneath routes and he really struggles against off coverage. He doesn't yet know how to manipulate off coverage, right? When, When he's not physically next to with a corner he can't use his hands to separate use his strength use his length to generate leverage he doesn't yet have the routes that can manipulate off coverage so he takes corners where he's going he leans into his route stems he yeah. telegraphs with his head he turns too early uh, and so there's a lot of pass breakups in the short area that are concerning what's nice is that intermediate 
when he draws even to off coverage and he, he gets that that bump, that collision at eight yards, he can work off that pretty nice. He actually has good separation intermediate. So this is a guy that ideally you want running intermediate digs, deep comebacks, curls, and deep balls, which to me, that's a Z receiver. Yeah. That's a wide receiver two. That's not a wide receiver one, right? And so I go back then to the numbers I brought up for with Chark. 73 receptions, 1,008 yards, eight touchdowns, great. When you look at this across the course of the league, especially once teams got a beat on what Chark was doing, because Chark's first four games were nuts, Chark was 35th in the league in yards per target, 35th in league yards per route run. He was good wide receiver too, good field stretcher, and that's fine, but it's not wide receiver one. Now, Chark got better from last year in LSU to now. Definitely. Is he going to continue to get better? I would love to tell you yes. He's on his third offensive coordinator and has got the worst quarterback situation in the league. <laughs> right? Like, man, so I, even I if got, he, like, he's, like I said, even if he gets better, yeah. it might not jump out at us on the stat sheet on the film. <laughs> right. That's the thing is like he could get better at running slants and flats and speed outs against off coverage next year, and that'd be sick. But I don't think he's going to really get better. Like, I don't think he's really going to, like, show out as, as a wide receiver one top guy in this class. You know, trust, like, Jacksonville's got their top receiver locked in no problem until they get a better quarterback. Right. Because they're going to, they, they just need that. Because like, Chark's not, like I said, he's good for a rookie quarterback because he can help make you right when you chuck it up there. But he's never going to be, like, easy separation at all three levels, dude. And... That's what you're going to want for a young passer, right? Because that's what's going to make things easy. He's going to see it open. He's going to be able to throw it open, whatever. I like, like, you know, when we go back to 2018, you and me, I was never there on Chark with you at LSU. And now two years later, you're coming in 2020 season. I still just can't get all the way there on him. You know what I mean? I just, I, 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 I like him for what he is, but I'm not ready to dive in head first right some I mean? people think he's Allen robinson and i don't think he's quite there yet but i do think it's it's very enticing because like you said if he can clean up some of the other things like right now he's great at working that those vertical routes where everything's at 10 to 12 yards or he's working the nine i think he's uh, mm-hmm. i think he's excellent at that stuff but there is stuff that he can clean up with his game and obviously the offense is not going to help him what about james washington and deontay johnson from um yeah from from pittsburgh piece i'm not i'm not real high on juju smith schuster I'm really excited for Deontay Johnson, and I think I agree with you. And this is somebody going back to 2018 that we also disagreed on. You were higher on James Washington. I was higher on DJ Chark. James Washington had a pretty sleepy year with the quarterback play there, but what he put on film, do you think he's going to have a more productive profile going into his third year than Deontay Johnson, who I think is really on the, on the, has a lot of potential to break out. Yeah. So the, I haven't looked hard into Deontay, right. Who like is definitely good. Um, yeah. That I know for sure. Like you just kind of, from what you saw last year, it's like, that's a good ball player. James Washington, rookie season by all accounts, just simply could not get on the same page with Roethlisberger. Like his just would, you know, big misses, totally uncatchable balls, cut off routes he wasn't supposed to cut off, bend routes he wasn't supposed to bend, couldn't get there at all. The offseason, he talks about better understanding the playbook, which came out of Oklahoma State. He ran like four routes. Yeah. And also, you know, Oklahoma State, he would have the route, especially where he was working out of that reduced alignment as a flex, just like a backside X. 
we're gonna be like, all right, if you get quarters, then you can bend this inside. And if you get inside, so you can bend this outside. And then if you get cover three, and if it's cover two, then you can shoot deep. And it's just like, he would just get a route that was like, all right, at 15 yards, do something. Yeah. Right. But there was a lot that that was available for him to do. Right. So he spends a year learning the playbook. He also cuts 10 pounds, which it's important to note, like Washington ran slow at the 2018 combine. But when you watch him and DJ Chark play, Washington runs away from more coverage. He ran (laughs) two tenths of a second slower. Um, But but Washington was a good downfield guy at Oklahoma State. And a lot of people were surprised by him running that four fives. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be a burner burner, but... He, he plays faster than that four five. So similar, similar to what we saw from Jalen Rager, his forty time did not match what we saw on on film in terms of just the pure forty. Yeah, I agree. So we, uh, you go to year two now, and it's Mason Rudolph and it's it's Devlin Hodges, and Washington plays a lot better in year two than he did in year one. But some of that is hidden because of the quarterbacking situation, like you said. Washington, who's Go, again, one of the weirdest bills I've ever seen in my entire life. I'll never forget when James Washington walked across the stage at the 2019 Senior Bowl. And my guy just doesn't have a neck. He just has a head on shoulders. He's just right there. Yeah. So he's like 5'11". He like running back. Yeah. He's, he's like 5'11 he's like and 7'8", I think he came in as. And you're yeah. like, if this guy had a regular neck, he'd be 6'1 and a half. He does <laughs> right. not have a neck. Anyway, so he's just got this like real stocky build. He's a little bit high-waisted. He's just so physical down the field right and, and i tend to like these style receivers chark is a a taller guy an upright guy a little bit more lean you told you mm-hmm. brought up alan robinson Devonte parker that sort of a build yeah washington's got this steve smith build right he's got this debo samuel build that we talk about where he's just a round dude like he's just muscled he's cut and he's dense and so he's so physical down the field he generates leverage wonderfully and then maintains it he makes a lot of really tough catches through contact his route running still leaves a fair bit to be desired he still has a little bit of drop issues with his hands there's no doubt about that but when we talk about field stretching he wins downfield in a way that to me is more consistently sustainable than the way that chark wins right now mm-hmm. chark absolutely athletically as a higher ceiling with the catch radius and the leaping ability as well Mm. more exciting projection long term right now if i need a guy to take the top off a defense i'll take washington that's really interesting relative to the pittsburgh steelers receiver room because if you look at deontay johnson right your guy great player uh matt Harmon's uh reception perception charting he ran an above average number of screens slants comebacks and outs but anything deep corners nines post dig all of that was below average just in terms right. of his route distribution not in terms yeah. of his success rate success rate he yeah. was great but they He's use him guy. right they use him shallow they use him as underneath separator mm-hmm. you go to juju smith schuster below average corner nine post he's got a good number of digs but all of his it's, it's slant it's flats what this team is looking for is somebody to be their field stretcher yeah and i think that that's washington they grab chase claypool in the second round and it, it's not surprising when you think of all right if they have two guys who they like working out of the slot like where two-way goes juju and deontay let's make sure we have a guy we can play at x play on the outside yeah well now the receiver room is a bit crowded you got four players in there obviously you know we'll see what the contract situation is for juju moving forward but i think that the biggest gap that they've got to fill especially if you like Deontay, is their deep receiver. And I think that if you get Washington on the same page with Ben across, as we talked about, not the best training camp to do it. Uh, But if you get Washington on the same page as Ben, I'm here to tell you, he's going to put up some 
gnarly deep numbers because kid's got wheels he's got tremendous tracking ability super physical he just got to get right with the quarterback he's gonna be okay I like that breakdown. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, I'm very excited for Deontay. I'm a little bit lower on James Washington and, and Juju, but I do think that the Steelers offense can be productive if Ben is uh, going to stay healthy. We, talk, we talked about Shark. I actually want to touch on a, on a prop bet here before we get going, and this will kind of be a prelude to what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of episodes as we look at prop bets around the league and then we'll do our yearly episode with the eagles where we take a look at different prop bets make up some of our own and during that during that gap i'll look back at the prop bets from last year so we can see who won that since we've literally never recheck up on that so you might owe me a vending machine item uh but the team to go oh and 16 there's a bet on DraftKings sportsbook is the jaguars and there's washington jaguars at plus uh 2500 washington at plus 5000 who would you, if there was a team to go 0-16, would you place your money on the Jaguars or Washington? I mean, I'll take the worse odds for the Redskins, or the better odds for the Redskins, I suppose. Just because nobody's going 0-16. So if I'm going to bet anybody, I better be getting as much money back as possible on this thing. I agree, yeah. Jacksonville's not going 0-16. They got too much talent. Like, it, it's not a good team, but it's still, like, you know, at least right now, hypothetically, has Yannick Ngakwe. Right, has Miles Jack, has Ronnie Harrison. They have Chart. They have good players. You know what I mean? That offensive line, like, is not bad. Yeah, would always gonna help you. So this team was spite, like you know, spunky with with Minshew in. So they're they're gonna be fine. Redskins have Ron Rivera. They're well coached. Well coached yep. teams win games. Like they'll win a game in week fourteen against a, another team that's dead in the water. That they're not supposed to win just because. <laughs> <laughs> Rivera's gonna have the team ready to go. You know what right, I mean? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh huh. It's so so difficult to go zero and sixteen. Shout out. <laughs> Detroit line Jim Schwartz. Wait, I was about to say, was it Jim Schwartz? <laughs> Didn't it, or did he get one win? I can't remember. And he got he was June 14, and his first year was the year after the 0 and 16 team. Oh, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so who coached the 0 and 16 the 08 Lions? It was Rob Marinelli with the general oh, manager. Of course, was it was Rod Marinelli. <laughs> and then the 2017 Cleveland Browns, of course. Shout out Hugh Jackson. <laughs> Big ups, Hugh. Yeah, that one. That one's not interesting to me because like it's the Hugh Jackson and the Browns, right, right, yeah. the Lions. <laughs> Go 0 and 16. And I, I obviously in 2008, I was 11. But I think we were all like, wow, this is surprising and impressive. The 2016 Browns went 0 and 16 with Hugh Jacks. We were all like, yeah, they deserve it. Can they go 0 and 17? Like, yeah. you know, that was, that was pretty standard for me. To your, to your point, how hard it is to go 0 and 16. There's the Browns, there's the Lions that we just talked about. Before that, the, the three before that, it's 1982, the Baltimore Colts. It was a strike shortened season. There's only seven weeks. 1976, the Buccaneers did it. It was their debut season. 1960, the Dallas Cowboys, it was their debut season. They went uh, 0-11-1, so they even had a tie in there. So extremely hard to go 0-16 Someone's going to go 0-17. I was about to say soon. Soon, some team will have the ability to, the option to. It will be a possibility in the world that they go 0-17, which is truly something else. Are the Chiefs going 17-0? Uh, would you place that bet? <laughs> I'm I'm more willing to place an O and bet over a endo bet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is just so hard. <laughs> the second yeah. you get to like ten and O, right? It's just everyone's coming for you. Takes one injury, and then also, God forbid, you know, you play the freaking Raiders in Week 17 as the Chiefs, and like it doesn't matter. You have the one seed locked up. 
you bench everybody. Yep. And then, you know, John Gruden's like, let's go end these guys, <laughs> right? And then they win 13 to 10, right? And you're, six, you're 15 to 1. Yeah. That's my thing, right? Is it's like right. you have no reason to, f- to finish a 14 and 0 season. Right. Unless yeah. you're record chasing, which, you know, you can, but no one's ever done it yet successfully. <laughs> I, I guess all the way through the playoffs, I mean, so. So, Ben, that was a very special half Eagles, half fantasy part prop bet uh, episode of the Kissed and Solak show. We're going to be cranking these out with a little bit more regularity coming up. Of course, if you haven't heard them, I'm doing the best of the Kissed and Solak recap shows from all the after game instant reactions of the Eagles 2019 season. It's depressing. I know, but it's content and I think it's fun and I, I think it's educational as well. I think I'm through week 12 and I'll be putting up week 13 through 16 next. And then the last episode will be week 17 and the wild card. So make sure that you're checking that out, getting all caught up. There'll be a new BGN radio coming out soon. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners, man. Yeah, no, thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Soul X show here on BGN radio. We appreciate if you've been listening to old Kiss and Soul X shows on BGN radio, but we'll be doing some new ones now because those take a long time for Mike to edit and he doesn't want to keep editing them. So we're going to give him. <laughs> uh a breather we're gonna we're gonna start up some of these live shows but as mike said a hodgepodge of topics today certainly a hodgepodge of topics as we move forward throughout the off season so as we say every year if there's anything you want from us let us know we'll probably ignore you but if it's a cool idea we'll take it and claim it as ours welcome to the show <laughs> if you enjoy it please rate review and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast he's been michael kiss on twitter at michael kiss nfl that's k-i-s-t i've been benjamin solak on twitter at benjamin solak that's s-o-l-a-k Next week, probably the next Kiss and Solak show coming out for you then. Subscribe to the feed so you never miss a show. We all we got, we all we need, Fly Eagles Fly. Fly Eagles Fly.